come down and just pray for you quickly. Lord, in addition to the hope that he actually measures up today, Lord, we just want to pray and thank you for this wonderful man. We pray for the words that come from you today, from your heart, from his heart, Lord God. I pray that you'll give us open minds and open hearts for what he has to say today. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Thanks, mate. So the Bible says that we are to love one another. End of sermon. Actually, can you turn to a couple of people, just welcome them while I get myself organized here. That'll be really good. Ah, that's wonderful. It's great to hear all the conversation. Yeah, the church. This is the church being the church. Church, this is really wonderful. Lots of relationship stuff going on, and, and the church should be a place, I well, I believe anyway, where you come in and expect anything to happen. Would that be right? Yeah. And it probably will. And it probably will. Um, during, during the week, I had, a, um, I had a word for a couple in our church here, which I'm, with their permission, um, I um, would, would like to share it. And it's um, this couple right in front of me here. Now, this is on film. So um, we can edit this out if you, if you desire. That's entirely up to you. If you're happy just to let it run, that's entirely up to you also. Um, well, would you give me the green light to share this, what I believe God has given me to share with both of you? We know each other, don't we, from, from, from Wellington days. But I believe that um, for you, can I say your names? Bruce and Karen. It's a download that God gave me very strongly when I'm out doing my 10K jog and all the rest of that stuff, and that's how it kind of happens for me. But I believe very strongly for both of you that, um, that God has brought you into here, into a holding place. And a holding place is different than a hiding place. World of difference between the two. And the scripture that he gave me, he gave me two in fact, and the first one was, um, I think it's Romans 4.17, where uh, I am the God that calls things that are not as though they are. He calls things into existence that at the moment you cannot see, Bruce and Karen, but in God's perspective, he sees it all. And what I saw in the picture was both of you standing there in this holding pattern uh, in the life of this church, and you're holding your passports, now, passports can mean two things. One, identity, your identity. Listen to what God would say to you. Yea, your identity is secure in me, is secure. That means something. Your identity is secure. But the other thing a passport will mean is probably travel. It means getting on your bike it means doing something. And as, as people that we know, Christine and I have known for many, many years, you've served on the mission field. This is what I believe the Lord would say to you. Time is coming. 
in this holding pattern when God is going to reveal to you what is the next step. This is not a time to hide. This is a time to be open. Even the Lord would say to you, as ones who are physically, don't take this the wrong way, shorter in stature, but in spirit, you are tall. You are large. You are big in spirit. And God has prepared you for this season that you're coming into. This is not the time to shrink back. This is the time to go forward. This is the time when God is going to expand the borders of your life. Everything that you have experienced in the past was never for nothing. God is going to make it into something 30, 60, even 100-fold beyond your wildest dreams. Now, it's not up to me to put times and seasons on that. If you're in the life of this church that comes under the leadership that is here, you confer and you know that you, you walk that journey with them. But I believe, I absolutely believe that going back out onto the field at some point is a call on your life. Panicking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful what God will do, isn't it, church, when we're kind of open to what is Holy Spirit. Listen, um, just, just on that, uh, um, if you've got a word here this morning, I was talking to a couple of people in the prayer meeting earlier on um, about this. If you've got a word this morning that, that it's really, as the message comes and it just kind of burns in your spirit, and you'll know it's a word from God because your heart beats at a thousand mile an hour. <laughs> the more you hold on to it, your heart seems to beat faster. Um, that's probably the Holy Spirit giving you something, and if you wanted to share that with the congregation, providing it's something that's building and uplifting and encouraging, please come down, and um, we'll give you that opportunity at the end, at the end of this message. If that's you, um, bring it down. Turn to Matthew chapter 12 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 12. Um, uh, for those of you that would come into the church during the week normally, um, this week you'll find that the staff is pretty sparse. There's probably only one or two people that will be there in the office because the rest of us will be in Hanma um, for the prayer and fasting retreat that we're going to. Um, so if, if, if we're not there, it's not that we're shirking work. We're actually up there doing other kind of work. Um, so if you're visiting here with us today, um, we've been going through a series uh, on Matthew's Gospel, started uh, last year, I think it did, Robert, yep, and, and what we do, we've got the other series that we kind of dovetail into that, and in a couple of weeks' time, I think, um, Anna, you're preaching on prayer, is it prayer? We're starting a series on, yeah, yep, yep, do you remember that? Good. Um, starting a series on prayer. So we kind of bring all this other stuff into it, but every now and again we'll go back uh, to the series on Matthew. And we're up to Matthew chapter 12, and we're continuing um, this series. Um, and in many respects, um, after what Robert, this great message that he shared last week, did you enjoy that message? If you haven't, go online and listen to it. Well, I think you, you, you're absolutely on your game, Rob. really was. Um, chapter 12, though, is, is, is in many respects a defining chapter in Jesus' ministry because it comes after Jesus had first preached his well-known message or sermon, the Sermon on the, on the Mount. By the way, um, why do you think it's called Sermon on the Mount? Because he preached it on a, on a mountain. That's right. 
Not like New Zealand mountains, though. This is kind of these little wee, just these little wee humps, you know. They call the mountains over there. We've got real mountains in New Zealand. So he preached it on the side of this kind of slope, and everyone was listening to him. And in his, in his sermon on the mount, he introduced a whole new standard of how we as followers of Christ in this new, this new faith called Christianity, how we are to live out our life, how we are to respond. Listen to this, even to our enemies. Wow, even to our enemies. And then to prove his authenticity that he was indeed the Messiah, Jesus went about healing many, some with incurable diseases. Leprosy, for example, in those days it was an incurable disease. Thank the Lord it's not now. But in those days, when you had leprosy, um, you were put outside the city walls, and there you remained. That's the way it worked. He healed a paralyzed man. Two blind men received their sight. He even raised a dead girl back to life. Wow. And then he sent out the 12 disciples to Go and proclaim the message of good news. And he said to them, go with my authority and do it in my name. By the way, that same authority we have today. We have that same authority today. So before chapter 12, everything was going swimmingly well for Jesus. That was until the disciples violated the Sabbath traditions. And that one act... Jesus' ministry takes a decided turn for the worst. That one act. Now, as you would read the Gospels, I'm sure you've read them many times, we would all agree that Jesus and the Pharisees couldn't agree on pretty much everything. Would that be true? And Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, which we're going to read very soon, describe two such instances in which Jesus and the Pharisees butted heads. From that point, it was all downhill from there in terms of their relationship. So we're going to read Matthew 12, verses 1 through to 8 first. This is the first violation, and then we will, I'll come to you a little later on in the last part. So it should be up on the screen. There we are. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, his disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath uh, on Sabbath duty in the temple, desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here, speaking about himself, by the way. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, I want to point out something that's not commonly acknowledged with preachers when it comes to the Pharisees. It's true that the Pharisees get a lot of bad press. The Gospels are not very kind to them. That, that's true. Not very kind at all. But one thing 
folks, is hard to dispute when it comes to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You couldn't fault their passion and their enthusiasm to keep the letter of the law. You couldn't fault it. Could you imagine today for us if we had the same passion and enthusiasm when it came to the law of love? Could you imagine how different our world would be? You couldn't fault their passion and enthusiasm. And in one sense, it was actually a credit to them. But as we dig deeper into the passage, we will see very clearly it's also a great example of how one can be technically right. See, they said, according to the law, technically they were right. But because of a prejudiced attitude, they were still wrong. So let's give context. You know that I'm into this context thing. It's really important we understand what was going on at that time so we can apply it today correctly. That's really important. So let's look at context. To the Pharisees, the Sabbath day was the high point of their uh, entire belief system. And the presenting issue was simply this. Jesus' disciples dared, goodness me, they dared to pick some ears of grain some, um, off, the, off, the, um, off the corn or whatever it was they were walking through that field, the wheat fields. They dared to pick some heads of grain on the Sabbath, and that amounted to work. You weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. But just doing that, that's work, according to them. And in doing so, they violated the rabbinical traditions when the Pharisees saw this church, their heads exploded. Verse 2, look at it. It says, look. I could imagine them. It wouldn't be, hey, Jesus, look what the disciples are doing. It would be, Jesus, look at what your disciples are doing. So that everyone around could hear. It's unlawful on the Sabbath. Look at them. You know, it blows me away. Given all the good things that Jesus had done up to that point, the things I shared with you just, just a few minutes ago, all of those good things, the religious leaders of the day, you would think that they, in spite of the fact that, that it wasn't them doing it, that they would be saying to themselves, wow, isn't that awesome? Someone's been healed. Isn't that awesome that two, two people received their sight, deaf ears were open, a dead girl was raised to life? Wouldn't you think that they'd be saying, that's worth celebrating? But that's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. Instead, this was, well, I really think that in that moment in time, I mean, I wasn't there, as, and nor were you. But given all of that, look, Jesus, look what they're doing on the Sabbath day. Jesus probably said to himself, really? Are you kidding me? And, he, and this was his response anyway. He reminded them of a similar incident in 1 Samuel 21 when David and his men were fleeing from, for their lives from King Saul. You remember the story? They're running for their very lives. He reminded them um, they were hungry. They, 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 they were trying to escape and they came to um, the priest of Nob, uh, uh, Abimelech, I think it was. They came to him and um, uh, they were starving, hungry, been running, probably thirsty as well. And they wanted some food. This is 1 Samuel 21. 
So they come into the, into the temple area there, and they saw the consecrated bread. Now, consecrated bread means it was holy. And David and his men, it was only for the priests, and David and his men, who were ceremonially unclean at that time, they weren't entitled to it. They weren't priests anyway. And they asked for the bread, and he said, well, you can't have it. And David said, well, we're taking it. So they did. They ate the consecrated bread bread. Listen to this. David and his men were hungry. Though technically it violated the law, their hunger was still legitimate. It's still a legitimate thing. But the Pharisees, because they were looking for something, absolutely anything, to accuse Jesus They, they missed what was most important. And Jesus had to remind them, verse 3, I think it'll come up here. Perhaps it won't. This is what verse 3 says. Check it out in your Bible. Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? And Jesus was essentially saying, I think this is, let me paraphrase it. I get that the law is important. And technically, Pharisees, you do have a point. But when you look at it through the lens of human necessity, through someone's well-being, their physical well-being in that particular case, Jesus was saying, human life is more holy than sanctified bread. Yeah? Here's the bottom line. David and his men were hungry. They needed feeding. It's that simple. The Pharisees knew all about the letter of the law. You know, a Pharisee could recite it word for word. And Jesus' point was, you Pharisees know the letter of the law, but sadly, you miss the spirit of the law completely. Verse 7. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Let me paraphrase verse 7. If you really understood the heart of God, you Pharisees, you would know that before there is to be sacrifice, first there comes mercy. That's what he was saying. And we see the same conflict of perspective again in Matthew chapter 23. Uh, Jesus is having, <laughs> go figure, another run-in with the Pharisees. Another one. This is um, uh, Matthew 23. Oh, it'll be on screen. Here we are. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And the message here, I believe, is simply this. There is a balance in God's kingdom between law and grace, between grace and law. Both are important, and Jesus administered both. 
But in so doing, he never lost sight of the more important issue which he was trying to get across to the Pharisees here. Above all things, people's well-being, their physical, their spiritual, their emotional, their relational well-being. For you, for me, for all of us, all of those things, before the law, they matter most. So that's the context. Okay, let's lighten the atmosphere a bit. Do you remember when growing up, how many of you, um, uh, uh, how many of you can claim that you always obeyed the rules in your house that you were growing up in? How many always obeyed them? Okay, what were some of the rules in the house that you grew up in? Anyone? No rules. Okay, chaos. Yep. Yep, put things away after you use them, absolutely. Anything else? No bat chat. No bat chat. Yep. I couldn't imagine that with you covered anyway. <laughs> ten minutes, only, only ten minutes on the phone. What else? We've got any over here. What were some of the rules? Lawn's mode every Saturday. How about this? Sorry? Elbows off the table. How about this one for the boys? Put the toilet seat down. Or is it up? I can't remember. Well, fact is, there are rules and regulations. Of course there are. The truth is our daily lives are guided by rules by regulations, by laws and bylaws of all types and stripes. Um, We've got tax laws, we've got property laws, um, we've got traffic laws, thank goodness, codes of conduct. We have local council rules, central government makes laws and rules all the time. Um, uh, There's health and safety, and the list goes on and on and on. Can you imagine the chaos that would ensue if there were no rules? If there were no regulations, no boundaries, it would be absolute chaos, wouldn't it? So thank goodness that there are guidelines, rules, and regulations. So what Jesus took issue with was not so much about the rules that governed how one was to observe the Sabbath. That's not what he was taking issue with. The Sabbath was to be kept holy. It was right there in the law of Moses. You couldn't miss it. The real issue here, and what Jesus took exception to, was that the rabbis had added 39 other rules to the original rules or law of Moses around the Sabbath. 39. And all of them constituted work, none of which were included in the original law of Moses. Do you want to hear some of them? This will get a laugh, I'm sure. Here's a few examples. If you threw an object in the air with one hand and caught it with the other hand, that was a violation of the Sabbath. But if you threw the object with one hand and caught it with the same hand, that was okay. No, I kid you not. It's in there. Um, A tailor on the Sabbath couldn't carry a needle lest they would be tempted to sew a ripped garment. A scribe could not carry a pen because they might write. A pupil couldn't carry their books because they might read them. 
Nothing could be sold, nothing could be bought, nothing could be washed. A letter could not be sent even if you put it in the hand of a non-Jew for delivery. No fire could be lit. That constituted work. Had to strike a match, light a fire. That's work. Can't do that on the Sabbath day. And this is a beauty. Listen to this one. Cold water could be poured onto warm, but warm water could not be poured onto cold. There's another one. You couldn't take a bath for fear that the water would spill onto the floor and wash the floor as it fell off. That was considered work. Oh, it gets worse. If there was a lit candle, you couldn't blow it out. Here's one for the ladies. A woman couldn't look in a mirror or glass in those days because she might see a gray hair and pluck it out. (laughs) So what about the men? Could they pluck one? Who knows? Who knows? And you couldn't wear jewellery because jewellery weighed more than a dried fig. I couldn't get to the bottom of that one. I love John MacArthur, his take on all all this whole Sabbath thing. He says this, I quote, "Um, You want to know what the Sabbath was? The Sabbath was a pain in the neck. That's what it was. It was impossible to rest because the word Sabbath means to rest. It was impossible to rest. You couldn't do anything. And no wonder the people were sick and tied to death of the system that, that was imposed upon them by the legalists. No wonder. When Jesus came along, they thought, oh, thank goodness, someone's speaking sense. We can get on with our lives. The legalists. Wow. Have you ever met someone who operates kind of like the legalist kind of spirit? Ever met one of them? Bruce has, Robert has, no one else has, no. Let me tell you something, how that spirit operates. This is what a legalist will do. So you, um, you with the right heart, right attitude, um, are wanting to do the right things. You, you, um, uh, you want to reach, the, 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 the Bible has got standards. Is that, is that true? There are standards, there are guidelines and standards for all of us. Okay, so you as a new believer, you want to um, achieve that standard and you're kind of working through some stuff from the past, but you're on the journey, on the journey, Leanna. And you go to this person who's got this legalist spirit and you say to them, I, I, want, I, I really want to reach thee. I want to go there and, 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 and achieve that kind of level of righteousness. And, and, the, and, the, and the legalist will say, yep, that's fine. Here's the bar. Here's what you've got to do. You've got to get to that height. So you go away and you do all of that. You, you, you read your Bible daily and you're praying and you're, you're being good to your neighbor and kind and all that kind of stuff. You're doing all the things to kind of reach that certain standard. And then you'll go to them a couple of weeks later, having achieved that, and you'll say, hey, I've done it. I've, I've managed to get there. Isn't this awesome? And they'll look at you and say, yeah, that's not too bad. And then they'll just raise the bar a bit higher. And they'll say, now jump over that. That's what a legalist will do. And that's what Jesus was facing here. Do you think that at any time when he was talking with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were trying to find fault with him and wanted to kill him as a result, and they did in the end anyway, could, could you imagine at any time if they had have said, you know, Jesus, we're wrong and you're right. Do you think that would have changed everything? It would have done but they chose not to. He gave them every 
opportunity to see it from a kingdom perspective, and they chose not to. There is no way that relationship then was going to get any better. That's what legalists will do. Okay, I want to land this. What does all of this mean for us today? What's the application for us? Well, here we go. Jesus acknowledged that observing the Sabbath was important. Absolutely it was. It was, in fact, the only ritual observance that was in the Ten Commandments. So clearly, it was a big deal. But secondly, God was also concerned for both our, spirit, our physical, spiritual well-being as well. Both our spiritual well-being and our physical well-being. Therefore, the Sabbath was a day in which all work was to cease so that the people could take some time out. They could have a break. Get a Kit Kat, for goodness sakes. Sit down and have a break. That's what it was designed for. As I said before, the word Sabbath in the Hebrew meant rest. That's what it was designed for. So Jesus had no issue observing both of those practices, none whatsoever. He was, however, making the more important distinction. Because of their traditions, instead of the Sabbath becoming a day of rest, a day of remembrance, they turned it into a day of burdensome observances. Church, the Pharisees prioritized rules over people's well-being. Jesus prioritized people's well-being over their rules. Verse 7, listen to this. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Essentially, the Pharisees had assumed lordship over the Sabbath. And verse 8, Jesus reminded them that in fact, he was Lord of the Sabbath. Not them, he was. And as Lord of the Sabbath, and I really want you to hear this, as Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus will break all the rules to show his mercy. And that's how come we're all here today. Because we've received his mercy and his grace. Isn't that true? He'll break all the rules to do that. We're nearly there. So, in concluding this, the last few verses, 9 through to 12, watch what Jesus does next. You see, he's had the debate with them. He's had the debate. It hasn't gone very well. They're getting more angry. They, uh, in fact, this is where they decide that they're going to, um, uh, they, they're going to take him out. They're going to kill him. Um, so things are not going well. So here's the debate. And he proves from Scripture, their own Scriptures, by the way, that it is lawful to, to, to do what the, the disciples were doing on that day, on the Sabbath day. Proved all of that. But that wasn't going to make any difference. But then he brings the hammer down. He proves it in a physical healing. Watch this. Going on from that place, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit, 
on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Question mark. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. Could you imagine that would have been like a hitting them with a hunk of four by two about that point? Man, oh man, Jesus was so, so smart. He needed to be because he was the son of God. You see, here's the point. Observing the Sabbath was never meant to restrict acts of mercy nor impose hardship. Jesus' priority was not the letter of the law. His priority was the spirit of the law. And he summed that up with this simple but profound question. Verse 12, I want to say it again. How much more valuable is a sheep, a value is a person than a sheep? How much more valuable? I actually struggled a little bit with that because we're actually called sheep in the Bible. Ever wondered about that? Anyway. You know, despite their traditions, notwithstanding their rules, in his kingdom, what is of most importance is the well-being of people, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, mentally. That's what matters most. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? You know, in church, secular businesses in one way or another exist to sell a product. That's the business they are in, and that's what they should do. But for the church, we're not in the product selling business. You know what business we're in? The people business. That's the business that we're in. People are at the heart of our story. That's why the church exists. It's about people. The Pharisees believed you could only be part of God's story by the law. Jesus came so that we could become part of God's story by grace. So then here's the question again. Is it the letter of the law or is it the spirit of the law? What do you think? Shout it out. You think it's the spirit of the law? Who thinks it's the letter of the law? Put your hand up. Who thinks it's the spirit of the law? That would be most of you. Well, this might surprise you. It's actually both. It's actually both. But with one noteworthy difference, grace comes before law. And we see this most beautifully expressed in John 8, and I'm going to finish with this as the music team come up. Grace comes before Law. Remember the story in John 8 where the woman is caught in adultery. Um, so there's a group of scribes and Pharisees. They bring a woman to Jesus, accusing her of committing adultery in the very act, apparently. And according to Deuteronomy 22, the law said that she was deserving of death by stoning. Yep, that's what the law said. Now, here's a couple of questions. I kind of try to picture that scene. 
where, um, where, she was, where she was being actually manhandled in because it said that they, they bought her in, she was standing, that they, um, uh, they um, uh, were holding on to her to get her there. Here's the question. Do you think she arrived there willingly? Not at all. Not at all. Another couple of things to know about um, uh, the, 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 what's going on there in terms of context. Um, Jewish girls were... Um, usually engaged between the age of 12 to 14. They're engaged, and then there was a period of time where, they, um, where the marriage wasn't consummated, I think a year, and then, then all of that could happen, the wedding feast, etc., etc. But so the point being that, that, that this, this woman had made a mistake, and so the chances are she wasn't 55 years old. She was probably just a young girl, probably, and I don't believe for one second that she came before that crowd of people because it's in the temple courts. It wasn't just Jesus and this, these characters there. There was a whole bunch of people there, priests, the, the whole lot. So I doubt very much whether she came into that scene willingly. I doubt it. But we're not told. And it says in, the, in, in John 8, that Jesus bent down and he wrote on the ground. Now, we have no idea what he wrote. There's all sorts of conjecture. Um, I'm not even going to go there. It's another sermon. Then he stood up and said those most famous words. Can you remember what they were? He who has the without sin cast the first stone. If you're without sin, cast the first stone. Then he bent down again. Did you know that? It was twice. He did the first bending down deal, stood up, challenged them, not her, them. Then he bent down again. Now, we don't know whether she was still standing there with him or whether she herself had been brought in, manhandled in, and thrown on the ground and was still in the dust. We don't know that. But I reckon this is what happened. Second time when he stood up, he looked at her. In that moment in time, I believe there was a connection between him and her. And he said to her, this is what I believe, I see you. I see you. I don't see them. I see you to this young woman. It's interesting that in that moment in time, I believe that this young lady's life changed in a heartbeat. The Pharisees saw her through the lens of legalism. Jesus saw her through the eyes of grace. They saw her as a life to be used, and Jesus saw her as a life to be saved. That was the difference. Jesus neither condemned her, nor did he condone her sin. Because what did he say? The final thing he said to her, now go and don't do it again. And we don't hear anything else about She's not in the scriptures anymore after that, just this one incident. It's reasonable to assume 
that um, when he said, go and don't do this again, that she said to herself, man, I just dodged a bullet. I just dodged being stoned to death because that's what the Lord demanded. And now she's standing there, a free woman, in front of the king of kings, set free. Do you think when you have that kind of experience, when you're that close to, to having your life taken, and all of a sudden it's handed back to you, do you think you're going to go back into that same old lifestyle? I don't think so. That's what I believe went on. And why we don't hear any more about her, because she went on, got on with her life, probably got married, had a family, and just lived life. So I want to ask the question again. Is it the letter of the law or the spirit of the law? I'll answer it for you. It's both. With one noteworthy difference, that grace comes before law. Here's how it played out. The disciples were hungry, church. Guess what? They needed feeding. The man with a withered hand. He was an invalid. He probably wouldn't have been able to work to look after himself. There was no social welfare in those days like we've got today. So probably without handouts from other people, he would have starved. The man with the withered hand simply needed healing. The woman caught in the clutches of sin, this is easy, this one, she needed freeing. It's that simple. So the disciples... The disciples are with Jesus. I want you to picture this. They've had the most incredible experience with him. He's, um, he's raised a dead girl to life. Blind men are healed. Deaf ears are open. An invalid is now walking again who was once in a wheelchair. People have been healed and restored all over the place. Um, uh, demon-possessed people are being set free. There is this, this cacophony of um, kingdom stuff going on in Jerusalem, in the area they were, which no one could deny was phenomenal what God was doing. Yeah, phenomenal. And the disciples were walking along with Jesus through the, um, the grain fields, and they would have been excited about what they'd just seen. And what they're about to walk into, wherever he was taking them, I guess he was going to the temple. And one of them <laughs> picks some ears of grain and the, and the Pharisee says, look, look what they're doing. They've just violated the Sabbath. And I'm thinking, give me a break. Because Jesus probably thought the same thing. What are you thinking? Give me a break. And he was having none of it. He turned it all around and he put it into its right perspective. People matter above all things. Please stand. People matter above all things. Um, could Steve, have got that microphone? Did, did anyone want to take the opportunity to share? Okay. So I want to encourage you then, uh, in light of that, God takes us just as we are.
In the prayer meeting earlier this morning, um, Robert had a, had a word. Um, uh, the word was, what's Rob? Um, I see you. Jesus sees us. Yes? Jesus sees us. And that's exactly the same word that God gave me during the week. And we just conferred with each other. And it just, this is how God works. And I think that's a word for some people out here today. God sees you. He sees you. Whatever it is that you are going through, um, he sees all of that. And he's interested in you. And you can respond to that, whatever it, whatever it happens to be. We'd love to be able to pray with you. Sophie? Yeah, come on down. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Now, now, can I just explain what you're about to do? Okay. Um, Church, Sophie has a, um, a prophetic gift in song. Um, so I'm just going to leave it up to you and the Holy Spirit and, and we'll enjoy. Yeah. Do you want the music going or not? Yeah, I don't know how to sing to that music. Um, I'm just going to sit on here. Um, it's funny, he's saying that I see you. Um, 